Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. This can be found in the New Testament section of our Red Pew Bibles, beginning on page 73, or on the screen. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Scripture. And we ask now that through the Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts and our minds to the truth and wisdom that is found therein. And we ask that through the reading of your words, we may become better followers of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Luke 15, verse 1. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So once again, the Lord be with you. I want you to know that about a year ago, I uh, opened a, a subscription on Twitter to the Evanston Police Department's uh, Twitter account. And uh, I thought it would be important for, really, for you, for us to have such an account because it gives us an opportunity to hear what's going on in Evanston. And uh, every day I receive a notification from the Evanston Police Department Sometimes it's about an arrest, sometimes it's about a traffic stop. Uh, they share a lot about ways in which the police department is trying to engage with the Evanston community. They send out surveys. Uh, sadly, there are times when they send a report out about an active shooter and traffic alerts. And on Wednesday, this was the notice that the community received the last Wednesday that a five-year-old boy was missing in Evanston. And the police, of course, told the community that they're searching. 
They're looking for this little boy. They circulated his picture. This is his picture. And they had a description of the clothes he was wearing. And, you know, I'm a parent. Many of you are parents. And, of course, my heart sank with sadness when I first read it. I thought the worst. And we started praying for a safe return of this child. About an hour, two hours later, they sent another tweet out. And they said, they said that the five-year-old is safe and that this incident was not criminal in nature. And I thought, awesome. I mean, I wish that's how all the stories we hear of missing children would end. But you've also seen these kinds of videos of, uh, or pictures of soldiers returning home, coming home to family, after being away, coming home to their loved ones. Many years ago, and I still think about how traumatizing this was for our family. My father, after having retired after a few years, started exhibiting um, major problems with Alzheimer. And his routine many times in the morning was to walk down to a local bagel store with his newspaper, drink his coffee, read his paper, and then come back home. And on one of those trips, he did not come home, and he was missing for about a couple days. And my mother and our entire family, we were sick with worry. And fortunately, we found him. America is a, is a nation of immigrants. Um, I don't know what it is as Americans, but we have forgotten that. There is a spirit in this nation that now says, you know, this is our America, when really it isn't. We all got here from somewhere. Even if you were born here, your folks came from somewhere to this country. We're a nation of immigrants. And this statue, the Statue of Liberty, I remember when I was flying in for the first time, flying on a plane actually, flying into New York City, and we flew right by that statue. And I read about it, the Statue of Liberty. I knew what it stood for. It's a symbol of freedom. It's a symbol, in my mind, of hospitality, unlike any other country in the whole world. One of the values of this country is that you're welcome. You're welcome. But as Christians, we know that hospitality and welcoming people and valuing people is a biblical value. People matter to God. And if you're familiar with reading the Bible, some of you are, and some of you, you're new to the Bible, um, I would encourage you, if you open up the book of Genesis chapter 1 and start reading there, you'll, you'll quickly discover that from the very beginning, God created us human beings to be, and we're using the word table metaphorically, to be at this table of fellowship, this table of companionship, of hospitality, of being in relationship with God. But you read, keep reading in Genesis and you'll find out that something happened, that as human beings we rebelled, we lost our way, and we started finding knowledge and purpose and meaning in other sources outside of God. But the Lord in his mercy called a man by the name of Abram. And again, if you keep reading through the Old Testament, Genesis, you're eventually going to come upon the story of God calling Abraham. And God promised that through Abraham, God would form a nation that would be a light to the world. This nation would, would light 
a pathway so that the other nations of the world could find their way home to God and to this table of brotherhood and friendship and union with God. And through Israel, God's plan is that the nations would come to the mountain of the Lord and worship and fellowship. But again, the plan didn't come quite to fruition. Instead of Israel being a light to the nations, as you can read in the Old Testament again, Israel adopted the sins of the nation. But God did not stop. God persisted, and God sent his son. God took on human flesh. God became, God became dust in that sense, in his humanity, came from heaven to earth to rescue and to save those who are lost. That's a big story, and that story is still unfolding. And today, today marks a shift for us in our programming and in our emphasis in our ministry, ministry calendar. We're sort of moving away, sadly. Sadly for the Jamaican, we are moving away from summer. And we're starting our journey into the fall and the winter. But it's exciting, though, because we have some amazing opportunities lined up for First Press. We want to use today as a kickoff to alert you to some of the opportunities that are going on. Over the next four Sundays, we're going to be looking at a special series that we're calling A Place at the Table. And what I love about this series, guys, is that it allows us to reconnect with the mission and the purpose for our church. Why are we here? Why does, and let's say, why does the Big C Church exist? And why does First Prez exist? And I think as you walk with us through this series, and you don't want to miss a Sunday, it's only four of them, you're going to reconnect with the mission and the purpose of First Praise. May I say this? And if it sounds crass, forgive me. First Praise is not a country club. We're not a secret society. We're not a members-only club that exists for the consumerist values of the members. We're none of that. We are... And if you stick with us as we go through this series, and if you join us upstairs today, you will see that we understand ourselves to be an outpost to the kingdom of God. I like to use the word franchise. We are a franchise of the kingdom of God. We're called by God to bring others to the table of fellowship. And so what God started through Abraham, what God continued through through Israel, what God continued through his son, he now continues through the church, calling people to this table of fellowship with God. And that is why this parable today really gets us off to a good start. This is part of the big idea in today's reading. This parable really helps us to understand why this is so important. Because what I think Jesus does for us in those opening lines of Luke 15, Jesus exemplifies to the Pharisees and the religious leaders his philosophy for ministry and what he expects of his followers. Jesus wants his people to be relational. You don't reach people by throwing 
statements and bearing placards before them and screaming at them. You don't reach people that way. You reach people by being in relationship with them, by being authentic, by being true. And you invite then those who are not at the table. That's what, why we need to be in relationship, not just with the people who know us, but even think about your neighborhood. Think about the friends you work with. Think about people in your family. Think about the opportunity then that you have to invite them to the table of fellowship with Almighty God. So Jesus was very, very good. And boy, I tell you, we, we have so much to learn from Jesus about how he could just move into situations and connect with people. Jesus was very good at building relationships with outsiders. And uh, notice the response of, of the, the, the religious people. Notice their response. As Jesus is fellowshipping with these folks, it says that the tax, all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to listen to him. He was approachable. He was accessible. He didn't start out with a condemnation. He, he loved questions. If you read Jesus' Gospels, the Gospels about Jesus, he asked so many questions. He wanted to engage with people. And based on the response from those questions, he could go deeper with them. But then notice how the religious folks saw him. It says that the Pharisees and the scribes, they were grumbling. And they were saying very pejorative, very negative things about him that this guy welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's what they were doing. That's a very dysfunctional way to see people. They didn't agree with Jesus' philosophy for ministry. And so Jesus then takes the opportunity to tell these religious know-it-all three powerful stories because he wants them to understand his philosophy. Here's why I do what I do. And he shares these stories. And when you read them, you will quickly realize God's bias. God's bias toward people on the outside. But you also, when you read these stories, it exposes the narrowness of this members only religion. And so Jesus told the three parables. I know you've heard them. We're not going to belabor them. But there's a story about the lost coin. There's a story about the lost sheep. And there's a story about the lost son. Or some people say it's the lost sons. Anyone, if you've lost something, you know what that feels like, to lose something that's of value to you. In our house, maybe not in your house, in our house, it goes something like this. Judith, have you seen my keys? No, I haven't. And suddenly, I need to get to church for a meeting, and I'm scrambling looking high and low. I'm even accusing Duke. Maybe Duke took the keys. Can't find the keys. The other thing that gets lost in our house sometimes, it's the uh, remote control. You want to watch that game, you want to watch that program, and now, back in the day, growing up in Jamaica, you just walked up to the TV and you pushed a button. Now, you can't do that. You need the remote, can't find it. The other thing that gets lost sometimes, I start reading a book, and I thought I'd put it over here, and I can't find the book. Things get lost, and you want to find it. And in many ways, that's what the story is all about. In this case, it's not that things are lost. 
It's that people are lost. I don't know if you realize that. I don't know if God could help us to really understand what that means, that there are people in the world who are spiritually lost. And sadly, in our culture today, that has become a very controversial thing to say. How dare you say that people are lost? Everybody is searching for God. Everybody has a sort of a corner on who God is. And yet here we're reading in the scriptures that there are categories of people in our world who are lost. What the stories tell us, and I want you to think with me about this, and these are just broad ideas I'm going to leave with you this morning, that when somebody is lost, when something is lost, one of the first things that happens to us is that business as usual is suspended for that moment. And that is really important. When you lose something, you don't go on with business as usual anymore. You stop what you're doing. And I can imagine the family of that little boy on Wednesday. Suddenly, everything stopped, and the focus now is we've got to find our little boy. Thankfully, they found him. A woman in, in Louisiana who went jogging, and they couldn't find her. Everything stopped, and sadly, they found her. She was dead. When someone is lost, business as usual is suspended. Now, in the local churches, many of us in our churches, we don't seem to grasp that yet. We're going about business as usual, not realizing there's a bigger agenda here. And so in the story of the shepherd, the shepherd had a hundred sheep, and he's almost home, and he's counting them. Ninety-nine, hold on. And maybe he starts again. He gets to 99, one is missing. What does he do? Business as usual stops. He, it says he leaves the 99 in the wilderness and he goes looking for the one. Does that make sense? I mean, some would say, well, you know, you have 99, just go on home, don't worry about it. But the shepherd, truly being a shepherd, he leaves the 99. The woman, maybe, maybe she was getting ready to go to the bank or to go shopping or to go do something and she knew Last night, she had 10 silver coins in her possession, and she's getting ready to go, and she's counting out her coins one more time, and she finds that she has nine, not 10. Business as usual stops. She's not going to the market that day. She's not going to make that appointment. Something of value is lost, and suddenly, focus. She turns her house upside down. And that's the second thing that happens when something of value is lost. A massive search ensues. You're looking for the key. You're looking for the sheep. You're looking for the coin. You can picture the shepherd. He's going up and down, trying to retrace his steps, going into the valleys, going into the bushes, looking for that helpless, lost sheep. Picture the woman looking for that coin. It says that she lights a lamp. And she begins to go through every corner of her house and she's turning up the furniture and looking in between the couches and looking in the kitchen and the, just, just retracing her step, trying to find that coin. I think the text says she searched diligently for one coin. But then, when the lost is found, there is a great party that takes place. Now, in our text, it says, on earth, 
and in heaven. There's a party because you're so relieved, you're so excited, you're so joyful. I can imagine the parents on Wednesday when the little boy was found, relief, relief, joy, laughter, he's safe. The passage tells us there's great rejoicing. Now we understand that here it's talking about lost people, that in heaven it tells us that the angels rejoice. I found my sheep that was lost. I found my coin that was lost. She calls her friends and her neighbors over. And Jesus then says, just so I tell you, chapter 15 and verse 7, there'll be more rejoicing. There'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. He's saying that to those scribes and Pharisees. He's telling them that I'm here with these tax collectors. I'm here with these people that you call sinners because they matter to God and they need to be at God's table. That's the beautiful thing about where you live and where I live. I think just about every home has a place that if you invited me to your home, you would take me to a place in your home where you would have something prepared or if you came to my home, I would have something to prepare, and we would sit together in that space. I would feel welcomed. You would be welcomed, whether it's a meal, whether it's whatever it is that you're sharing. You have a place in your home. In our culture, especially as we move into the fall, we have Thanksgiving coming up. We have Christmas coming up. During the summer, we have family reunions. We have we have these moments in the calendar where we just naturally invite people to come and let us enjoy the company of each other. And these events, when you think about them, they happen because the people want them to happen. They're intentional. They order the food, they prepare the food, they create the guest list, they send out the invitations. And those who are invited often will graciously accept the invitation and they will show up at the appointed place and the time and the date, and people have a good time. This summer, as you know, 180 of us participated, and some of you are still doing it, participating in those koinonia meals. And why do we do that? Because we believe there is something about people coming together in fellowship with each other and with God. It's actually a good thing. And yes, there is food, but you know what really the word koinonia means? It means to hold all things in common, to bring people together. And what I heard from many of you was that it was a great time. And so today, after worship, we want you to come upstairs and see what we are planning this fall for this place at the table. Now I know our church. I know you. I've been here long enough. I know you. When worship is over, you got to go, right? But I'm going to ask you to slow down today. You don't got to go. Don't, don't do that. I'm going to invite you just to even take 15, 20 minutes out of your time. First of all, it's raining out there. So I don't want you to get a cold. Pastor Ray wants you to be safe and warm and dry. So I want you to come on upstairs. Come upstairs because, number one, we have lunch today. You can have lunch at the church, our agape meal. 
But then I want you to come up and see what we're going to try to do this fall. Small groups, our mission opportunities, you know, whether you like it or not, we have people who are looking for a place to live. They're coming from the Texas border and they're coming north and they're landing in the big cities of, of America. These are human beings. It's been politicized, of course, but there are people coming to the city of Chicago and all they're bringing is the clothes on their back. And our church wants to respond. We don't want to get into the politics of it. We just want to get into the people part of it. These are human beings, children of God. And so we've been putting together these hygiene kits. And I want you to come upstairs and see what that's all about. We say we want to be about the mission of God. Come on up and see what's going on. All of the outreach initiatives that we're thinking about, the adult education classes. And if you look in your bulletin, you should have received an insert, a little booklet that sort of gives you the big picture of where we're going this fall. Education classes for adults, what we're doing with children and youth. It's so great to see many of our kids here this morning. I want you to visit our library and see all the books that we have there, books that will help us to think deeply about what it means to be followers of Jesus. We have numerous Bible study opportunities. We have an opportunity to there, there's one of the offerings that we have upstairs will get us thinking about the, the ways in which we want our church to be structured, the governing, governance model of our church this year. There are people available up there to, 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 to explain to you where we're going next. So much. Big things for the fall. And this week, I sat down and I asked myself, okay, Ray, so why, why, why are we doing this? And let me tell you why we're doing it. Spiritual growth requires intentional engagement. Friends, I've been saying this maybe since I was a pastor back in the 80s. Nobody drifts into spiritual growth. I'm sorry, you just won't do it. You've got to take up and read. You've got to come to the table. You've got to upset the apple cart of your life if you want to experience the growth that God has for you. It requires intentional engagement. Break out of your comfortable routines. For me, it means getting up in the mornings. I love to sleep in, but knowing God is greater than my desire for sleep. So for me, it works to get up in the morning and to come before God in prayer. It requires your engagement. And one of the ways we grow is by serving. And we, we have so many opportunities for you to get to know the youth of our church and to serve in our children's ministries. We have opportunities for you to, to learn how to read the Bible. We actually have a class coming up here in, a, in another week that's going to help you. It's going to be taught by the Septons. Bill and Marlene, to help us figure out how to read this big book that we call the Bible. We have a class, a, a, a powerful, tender book in the Old Testament. I love to read the book of Ruth. It is such a moving story filled with great drama. And John Mark is going to be teaching that class. I want to urge you to explore. Some of you who are new here and you want to know more about the church, I proudly will welcome you 
to our Life Together class that starts on September 25th. I want to encourage you, spiritual growth requires engagement, intentional engagement. Check out our Saturday morning men's fellowship. Check out our Thursday night women's Bible study fellowship. I mean, we just have all these opportunities. The table is set. The food is there. But I want you to come. It requires your engagement. Even just going upstairs this morning, it's going to require your willingness to engage. Can't force you, but I just want you to know the table is set. But here's the other reason, as I came up with it, I thought about it, why? And it's because I believe that the fellowship of the church is actually good for us. Fellowship in an imperfect local church. And let me, let me say that again. I'm inviting you into the fellowship of an imperfect local church. That when you fellowship in an imperfect local church, it shatters the lie that says we don't need help from anyone. Fellowship in this imperfect local body, it dispels isolation. It dispels pride. It dispels loneliness. And we're coming out of a season where we've been shut off from these critical relationships. And fellowship in the local church, our imperfect church like this, allows us to grow. And when we do that, we learn how to make friends. And some of us don't know how to make friends. We learn of Christ from each other. There are things about Jesus that I learn when I listen to the things some of you tell me. We're better together. We discover gifts and abilities as we fellowship together that God wants to use. We serve and we make a difference in the community where God has placed us. You get the picture. We're more than a Sunday morning gathering. And I know for some of you, this is it for you. You come today and that's it. But I'm asking you to go beyond Sunday morning. We're the family of God together in this town. Three verses that I have been owning in 2022. Here's the first one that God is allowing me to, to lean into. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and God will act. So we're committing all that God has for us in 2022 to the Lord, and God promises he's going to act. Here's the second one. Commit your work to the Lord. And that's something we as a church need to learn. We start our work, and then we say, God, would you come and bless the work? No, before we start the work, we commit the work to the Lord. Our plans are going to be established. And here's the other one, and this one is really, really powerful. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own insight, your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge God and God will make your path straight. I've just been owning these verses for first prayers and for my own life because I know that the Lord is here. We are not, we're not this perfect church. And I, I'm sorry to disappoint some of you who are looking for this perfect church, but God is here. And I'm going, to commit, I'm going to continue, and I ask you to join me in committing this way that we're in now to the Lord. Commit the work that is before us to the Lord, and then to trust God with all of our heart that God is going to use us this fall to bring more people into the fellowship of 
the kingdom of God. I want people on the outside and people on the inside to know the blessing that you receive when you're part of an imperfect community of believers. Just this week, I read an article from, of all places, The Economist. The Economist, come on now, and listen to what they say. Regular attendance at religious services consistently correlates with longer lifespans. Now, I don't think a preacher wrote that for The Economist. Stronger immune systems and lower blood pressure, as well as decreased anxiety, depression, and suicide. Kids raised in religious households have a lower incidence of drug addiction, delinquency, and incarceration. They're more likely to graduate high school. In short, the nearly unanimous scientific consensus is that religious belief and in this case, we're talking about believing in Jesus, is good for you. It's good for you. So the fellowship of the church, it's good for us. And for those of you who are watching online, and I understand some of you can't make it in here, but if you're available and you're just taking the path of least resistance and you can come, I would encourage you to come because it's actually better in person that's online. And we're glad you're online, but it is better in person. So come. Come and join us. Come and join us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen. Amen.